0: We are continuing in our series today in Kingdom Stories, and this morning we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll be going from verse 21 to 35. So let's have God's Word open us up to Matthew 18, and we'll begin in verse 21. And when you're there, I'll ask that you rise for the reading of God's Word. Again, we're in Matthew 18, starting on verse 21. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt his eye had mercy on you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart so the word of the lord thanks be to god amen
1: uh the vision of Eternal Life Mission Church is to see God's kingdom come and His will be done in our homes, communities, and the world. Now, to see this vision come to fruition, we have to, first, we have to first know what the kingdom of God is. What is the kingdom of God about? What are its core ethics? How do you enter the kingdom? Who is its king and what is he like? And so, to better understand the kingdom of God, a few weeks back, we have started a sermon series entitled, Kingdom Stories, where we look and study the parables of Jesus. You see, for Jesus, the parables were these windows into the kingdom of God. And every week, our goal is to peer inside, is to look inside to see what is the kingdom of God like? Today's parable that we've just read is a window into the theme of forgiveness. Forgiveness inside the kingdom of God. Two questions I want to ask and answer. Number one, how does God forgive us? And the second question, how should we forgive others? How does God forgive us? And how should we forgive others? Number one, how does God forgive us? If you, if you look at today's parable, um, it tells us about a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And the parable tells us there's this one servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, here's a bit of context. If you look, here's a map. Of uh, the area or the region in which Jesus did ministry. Now, this area, first century Palestine, was known as the kingdom of Herod. Now, in this kingdom, the annual tax revenue for the entire kingdom was roughly 1,000 talents. The servant in the story owed ten times that amount. One individual owed ten times the annual tax revenue of the entire kingdom. So, for this servant, to pay back what he owes, he would need to work 200,000 years without spending a single penny. 200,000 years. uh This is simply a debt that the servant would never be able to pay back. Not him or his family or his children or his children's children or his children's children's children's. No matter how many generations would pass, this debt would never be repaid. Now, in this parable, the king represents God and the servant represents you and me. And what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, because of our sins, we owe a debt to God that is insurmountable. Imagine for a moment if we had this box. It was this imaginary box. And inside this box, we would put and store all of our actions, all of our words, all of our thoughts. Imagine if we can put inside this box everything that we've ever done in public and private, every word that we've ever spoken in public and private, and every thought and meditation that we've ever had. Imagine if we can put all of that inside this one box. And we do this exercise for everyone. And imagine if that box was opened, revealed. What would your friends say? What would your family think? If we were to do that exercise here in public, which one of us, after having opened this box, after having see, for everyone to see our thoughts, our actions, our words, who of us would not be met with tremendous guilt and shame? Now, equal to that shame, or perhaps even greater than your shame, would be the debt, the offense that you've committed. Against others and God. If all of our actions, thoughts, and words were revealed, sure, we would face tremendous shame and guilt. But even greater than that shame would be the debt that we owe to God for our sins. See, at first, when we read the story, we think 10,000 talents? What a ridiculous amount of debt. Who would owe such a thing? What fool? would owe such debt. But when we realize that Jesus is actually talking about our sins, 10,000 talents is actually reasonable. It's fair. Now, if we go back to the story, the king decides to cut losses and settle the matter. So he orders the servant to come in, and he says, since you can't pay me back, I'm going to, um, I'm going to sell you and your family into slavery. Now, this sounds inhumane, but this action is actually an act of mercy. See, slaves during this time, they were sold for about 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. If you think about what they sold Jesus for, right, Jesus wasn't even worth the cost of a slave. But 30 pieces was the average amount that a slave sold for. So maybe this king... In settling this debt, would recoup two hundred pieces of silver. Now, if you think about that, in today's currency, the servant owed anywhere from three to six billion dollars, but the king is settling for about a thousand dollars. This is worse than what GameStop does or what eBay offers you for your used items. You know, I remember a while back when I was young, uh, GameStop offered me five dollars for an $80 video game that I had just purchased like three months ago. I was disgusted, but I still took it, and <laughs> I went to McDonald's. But what thievery! The king is actually willing to settle. This servant owes him anywhere from 3 to $6 billion, but he says, you know what, let's settle things. I'll sell you off as a slave, and we're done. You owe me nothing. This is actually an act of mercy because if for some reason, let's say the servant later on goes and he strikes gold, he becomes rich, he finds a hidden treasure, if that ever happens, this servant, he's no longer in debt and he owes the king nothing. So in fact, the king is essentially letting him start all over again. What mercy. But notice how the servant responds. Verse 26. He says this, the servant, he fell on his knees and he implores the king saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, either this servant is lying or he's completely delusional. How can he pay everything back? You know, um, debt, the emotional, psychological effect and trauma that debt has on the individual and communities. I mean, we've, we've seen it before, we've heard it before. But one of the emotional effects of debt is denial. You probably have seen it in some form or fashion. Uh, more recently, it's been portrayed in the Netflix series, uh, Squid Games, the main character. But we've all heard and seen a person who's swimming in debt being in complete denial. He or she denies the reality of their debt, and they think that they can pay it back instantly. Just give me one more chance, I will pay everything back. I'll wipe my debt clean. You know, it's a lot like the way in which we view the debt of our sins, isn't it? Often we are in complete denial. We either deny the existence of any offense or debt that we owe to God for our sins, or we think, you know what, I can get right with God anytime. All I need is one worship service. All I need is just one prayer. All I need is one act of sacrifice. I can pay God back. You know, not only do we offend God with our sins, but equally offensive is our denial of of our sins, gravity, and weight, thinking, you know what, it's all right. I can keep doing what I'm doing. One day I will pay it back. You now, this servant, who was foolish enough to get into debt ten times the kingdom's annual yield, thinks he can pay everything back. He's in complete denial. He's delusional. Now, however, however remarkable this servant's attitude is, the king's response is even more astounding. This is what it says in verse 24. The king, out of pity for him, the master of that servant, he released him and he forgave him the debt. When the servant is begging on his knees, saying, I will pay, you, I will pay everything back, the king looks upon this servant, and he has great pity for him, and he simply lets it go. He doesn't come after him with the payday loan. He doesn't have him sign his future away. He doesn't extend the debt payment payment, or even hold him accountable for his words. He doesn't say, okay, let's see if you pay it back. No, the king sees this delusional servant, and he doesn't become hardened by it, by his thick-headedness. But the king has pity, he has sympathy on him, and he forgives him cleanly and wholly. You know, this parable is a window into how God views us, into how God views us in our denial and in our foolishness. You know, after all the offense and the sins that we've committed, in our delusion, we think we can pay God back. We think we can get right with him on our own strength. In denial, we minimize our offense, thinking, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Just a little more. And God's response is not, how dare you? But his response is, I'll have mercy upon you. Recently, my boys, um, they broke a window in my house. I should say in our house. Technically, it's my house. But they broke a window in our house. They were playing soccer with the real soccer ball inside the house. They had forgotten that they were no longer three years old. But more importantly, they forgot mommy and daddy's word. Do not play soccer inside the house. And they have completely forgotten, or they say they have forgotten, but you know, I know they didn't forget. They just did it. So they play soccer, and they break a window, and when the window shatters, in tears they come to me. They come to me with their piggy bank, and they're begging me to have mercy on them. And they say, here, take this piggy bank and use whatever we have to fix the window. And they even promised, we will give up future allowance to make up for that cost. Now, upon seeing them, I had to tell them, you know, I said, guys, it's not about the window or the cost of replacement. It's that you didn't listen to your parents. But when they came with that small act of remorse, when they were begging with this small piggy bank, saying, here, take this, you know, I was tempted Should I smite them like I would smite the piggy bank? You know, should I come down with an iron fist? Should I crush the piggy bank and say, I will do this to you if you ever do it again? No. I was thinking, you know what? That act of remorse, that apology was more than enough for me to show mercy and to forgive them. Now imagine if instead of breaking a window, they burned down the entire house. They burnt down the house, and as a result, all the neighboring homes caught on fire. And at the end of the day, the entire town of Ambler caught on fire. Even El Limon, right, the great Mexican restaurant, that's gone. And Imagine if after that, they come with their piggy bank, in tears, crying, saying, please use this to build the town back. How do you respond to such naivete and foolishness? Our kids aren't three years old. They understand cost and economics. Well, our king, our God, despite our delusion, our denial, he looks upon us with mercy and he forgives us. He gives us mercy not because we are persuasive. He gives us mercy not because we are worthy of receiving mercy. But out of the goodness of his heart, mercy overflows, and he looks upon this servant, he looks upon us, and he says, you are forgiven. That's it. Now, if you think about it, the king's decision to forgive, it's going to have seismic consequences throughout his kingdom. Not only is his balance sheet weakened, but his reputation is in jeopardy, and the kingdom's financial security is at risk. What if other individuals, what if other nations in debt, they ask for the same thing? What if everyone all of a sudden defaults on their loans? What if people start taking out lines of credit in hopes of debt forgiveness? What if the people start seeing their king as weak and vulnerable? You see, the king's action to forgive, while it cost the servant nothing, it came at a great cost for the king. This act of forgiveness wasn't simply a shrug it off moment. You know what? It's okay. We're fine. No, it was a costly decision for the king. But it was a decision made out of mercy and goodness. The mercy and goodness of the king's heart. Friends, this is what God's forgiveness is like. Even though it costs us nothing, it costs God everything. The ransom for our sins was the blood of his beloved son. God's forgiveness to us wasn't just simply, you know what, we're good, we're fine, we'll hug it out, that's it, no cost to me, no. The forgiveness that God extended to us was at the cost of his only son. So first, this parable teaches about how God forgives us, He forgives us with mercy and with great cost, at the cost of his only son. The second question then, how does this parable teach us to forgive others? How should we forgive others? The story goes on. After being forgiven, the servant, he goes outside and he sees a colleague, a fellow servant who had owed him a 100 denarii. Now, a 100 denarii isn't a small amount of money. It's about $6,000. It's not small, but it's nothing compared to what he had been forgiven. When he sees this colleague who had owed him 100 dinars, he grabs him, and the text says he starts to choke him. And he says, give me what you owe. The fellow servant drops down on his knees, and he pleads with him. And in verse 29, he says this, have patience with me, and I will pay you. You see, this fellow, according to Jesus' story, says the same words that the servant uttered to the king. When the servant heard these words, it should have triggered something in him. He should have been reminded of his exact words and the king's mercy upon him. But instead, this servant, is blinded by anger and rage and greed, and he demands payment. Seeing that this fellow servant is unable to pay a hundred denarii, what he does is he throws him into prison. Now the story continues when the other servants in the kingdom, they see this, they hear about this. They're so upset that they report to the king what just happened. So the king summons that original servant and he speaks these piercing words, verses 32 to 33. Then the master, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The king calls him in and he says, you should have had mercy just as I had had mercy on you. You know, just scouring the the literature and the articles and just the popular writings on forgiveness today, it seems that there are three reasons why people forgive, three reasons reasons why people forgive. The first reason why someone would forgive is when the offender, when he or she shows remorse matching the offense. So let's say someone offended you. When that person comes to the realization, when he or she understands the gravity of his wrongdoing, if he or she becomes penitent and comes to you with a contrite heart seeking to make amends, When the remorse matches the offense, then forgiveness takes place. This is the most common form of forgiveness, and it's actually the easiest form. We've all been there. Someone offended us, and he or she shows remorse that matches the offense. And what do we do? We forgive. That's the common and the easiest. But the second reason why people forgive, and this is a lot more common today, is when the victim begins to seek freedom and peace. Again, this idea is being promoted widely now by popular secular psychology. But the idea is this. Forgiveness is about you. If you're the victim, you have to forgive. Why? So that you can move on. You need to forgive so that you're no longer holding on to this burden. You have to forgive so that you can experience freedom and peace. Um, Oprah Winfrey, the most popular psychologist of our day, uh, she says in her book, The Wisdom of Sundays, she takes this approach and she writes this. The journey to release all grudges, to relinquish the quest for revenge, and to let go of the fantasy of what might have been is one of the most difficult challenges we will ever face. But it's also the most rewarding. Because the other side of forgiveness is freedom. The true purpose of forgiveness is to stop allowing whatever that person did to affect how I live my life now. And then she quotes Dr. Gerald Jampolsky. She says this, quoting him, Forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could be any different. I think many of us can resonate with this. We've all experienced the, deb- the, the debilitating effects that unforgiveness has on us. When you've been wronged, holding on to that grudge is burdensome. It's tiring. And what that offense does is as you hold on to it more and more, it becomes corrosive and it eats away at you. And so what people do is in hopes of finding some sort of normalcy, in hopes of finding peace and freedom, people choose forgiveness. Now, there is certainly merit to this approach. When we are recipients of other people's sin, we've all experienced that sin festering, expanding, and growing in our own hearts. John Owen once said, the seed of every sin is in every heart. In other words, if you've been hurt by someone, if you've been wounded, the sin in your heart creates an affection in that wound. It's, it's one thing to have a wound from someone else, but it's another thing to have the sin in your heart start to infect that wound. And so, according to this, there is wisdom in letting go and forgiving for our own mental health and sanity. However, that is not what this parable teaches Yes, we might forgive because the other person shows remorse. We might forgive because we want to seek freedom. But what this parable teaches is not that. Listen to the words of our king. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? See, some people forgive because the offender shows remorse equivalent to his offense. Some forgive because they're seeking freedom. They do it for themselves But according to this parable, the reason why we forgive is because we have first been forgiven. Because forgiveness is a common and life-changing experience for all of us. That is why we forgive. Notice the king doesn't locate the motivation for forgiveness in anything outside of himself. He doesn't say, hey, That servant was really genuine. He showed real remorse. He doesn't say that. The king doesn't say, you know what, 100 denarii, come on, that's chump change. That's nothing. No, the king doesn't minimize the offense. Nor does the king say, hey, let it go. It's affecting your lifestyle and your work habits. I've noticed you're more sluggish and you're down. Find freedom through forgiveness. That's not what the king says. No, the king simply says, I had mercy on you. You should show mercy to others. Friends, simply put, the gospel's motivation for forgiveness is the gospel itself. The king doesn't locate the nexus of forgiveness in anything outside of the king himself. I showed mercy to you. Show mercy unto others. You know, if you look at verse 21, um, this parable begins. Jesus starts teaching this parable because Peter's question. Peter goes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? If he sins against me, how much, how many times should I forgive him? And Peter asks, Seven times? But this is how Jesus responds. He says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. 70 times seven. You know, 70 times seven is actually from the Bible. If you look in Genesis 4.24, Lamech, um, this is what he says. Genesis 4, I have it up for us. He says this, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is 70 times sevenfold. What was originally a statement about revenge, Lamech is saying, if anyone does me wrong, I will repay that person 70 times 70 times, or 70 times seven times. He says, if someone does wrong to me, I will repay this person. My vengeance and my vindication will be 70 times seven. This is what the Old Testament said. This is what Lamech is saying. But when Jesus talks about forgiveness, he reverses this. And he turns this statement into a statement of forgiveness and healing. While others, while the world says, if you do me wrong, I will pay you back even more than what you've done to me. Jesus says, no. Because of the gospel, this 70 times 7 is not of vengeance, but it's of forgiveness. I, you know, I, I have some other questions that I just wanted to go through, but I think I'll conclude here by just simply saying this. Um, I know forgiveness is a very touchy and personal topic. Um, you've, many of you just got done with Thanksgiving gathering with family, and um, while it's all great, often family is the source of many of our wounds. And what Jesus is saying here, he's not coming down off the top ropes simply saying, you just forgive, let it go. He's not being impersonal. He's not being theoretical. But when Jesus tells a story about forgiveness and how we ought to forgive, it's deeply practical and real. Because as Jesus is telling the story, he knows that the cost that the king is going to have to bear is himself. Jesus knows that the cost of the king's mercy upon us is himself. I know forgiveness is a very difficult topic for many of us, as I've gotten to know many of our congregants, uh, the wounds that we have in our past, especially from our loved ones. We've often harbored them. They've become grudges. We start to view these people according to their actions and what they've done wrong. To us. And because of our sins, yeah, those wounds have become infected. They've become infectious, spreading all throughout, affecting us and our lives. Christ calls us in today's passage, "The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like this. It's like a king who forgave freely out of mercy." For us to see the kingdom come and for God's will to be done in our homes, our communities, and the world. We are called. We are challenged to likewise forgive. Not out of our strength, not out of our mercy, but out of the mercy that flowed from the goodness of our king's heart. Would you join me in prayer at this time? If we can just take a few months, a few minutes. Certainly we need a few months to dwell and work on forgiveness, but at this time just take a few minutes. Who is it that you're holding a grudge against? To whom do you need to step down from the seat of judge? To whom do you need to stop judging according to his or her wrongdoing upon you? Who do you need to let go? And free? Who is it that you need to forgive? Again, you could find the motivation for freedom, or uh, for forgiveness, in selfish ways, in seeking freedom and mental well-being for yourself. Or you can find the strength and the motivation for, for forgiveness in the mercy of our King, in the mercy of the forgiveness that you have received. Would you just take a few minutes reflecting upon this?